All right, we're, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, so uh, in our study of the life of Christ, in our study of a harmony of the Gospels, we have found ourselves in John chapter 9. So last week when we were together, we talked about how Jesus healed a blind man. Um, we'll quickly review over some of the things that we learned last week, and then we'll get into today's lesson, which is the conflict that comes from Jesus and the miracle that he performed. And so, <clears throat> remember we talked about how this man had been born blind from birth, mm-hmm. right? And what was it that the disciples asked Jesus? Do y'all remember? Uh, which one of his parents then? Yeah, who, who, what was the cause of his blindness? So the idea or the concept back then was, if you had a child that was born with a physical defect, it was because either one of the parents uh, sinned or maybe the child sinned yeah. in, in the womb. And mm-hmm. so Jesus said it was not. Remember what Jesus said? He said it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the whole reason in God's divine purpose that this man was born blind was why? So that one day... Jesus could come and heal him, and, and his right. and his Father in heaven could get the glory for it. So, and and that applies to our lives as well, doesn't it? Yeah. The reason that God works in our lives is so that He can get the glory. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so, I, I, it's very important to notice there that it said it was neither that this man sinned or his parents. What does that mean? That means his parents and him, all of them, have sinned. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, if if the perp- if the reason that we have birth defects and the reason we have sickness and death is because of our own personal like sin, if God is judging us for we'd something that we crippled. did, we're all we'd all be crippled and dead and blind. Right? Now, is suffering and death and pain and war and all these things are these all effects of sin? Mm-hmm. Yes. And is one of the judgments from God that He turns us over to our sinful desires? Mm-hmm. Right. I can kind of sympathize with this situation because my son, he's he's a toe walker as well as he's autistic. So when people, you know, like if, if they were back in, we were back in, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus' day, they would think you sinned. Sure. Because your child is not normal. Sure. Um, is, there a, is there a tendency today to look down on people who have special needs kids? Yeah, so still yeah. Like some, oh, it must be something wrong oh with their God. parents. Yeah. And the reality is, is that everything that falls out in our lives, all of God's providence at work in our lives, is for his, our good and His glory. Right. Now, it, is it easy for us to see that? No. No. Because the truth of the matter is, in the same way that this man was born blind, we're often blind to the providence of God in our lives. Right. Right. Now, Jesus uh, heals this man. I, remember how he healed him. What, what did he do? Does anybody remember? He put some mud on his eyes. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. He put mud on his eyes. And what do we say that that could remind us of? What do you think of when you think the of clay. mud? The clay. Mud the and clay. Good. Right. And, and right. so it's, a, it's, a, it's an indication or it's, a, it's an allusion to the fact that Jesus is the creator. Yeah, remember the clay and he molded. Yeah, good, yeah. good, all right. And so he healed the man, and he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, another thing that we talked about last time we were together, we talked about physical problems and comparing them to spiritual problems. Remember, Jesus healed deaf people. That's a physical uh, condition to be deaf. What would be the spiritual uh Equivalent to being physically deaf. Uh, not hearing the word of God. Good. All right, good. And blindness, what would that be? Uh, not willing to see good. God's work. Well, actually, it's more than not willing to see. It's, good. it's so not caring. You don't want to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Bible says that we have willfully suppressed the truth of God. Yes. I have a question. So, God could, Jesus could have just. Said so you're healed and be done with it, but he didn't. He had him go through some steps. That was also for the glory of God. Was that for people to see that he was willing? He had him go through the steps, putting the clay on his eyes, and actually going and washing. But he didn't have to do that. He could have just healed him. He, there are times where he actually healed people with blindness right. with just right. by touching them. Right. So those steps that the man went through, there has to be a purpose behind it. And okay. Well, what would the purpose be? 
Well, for the glory of God, but it, does it happen to do with the willingness of his heart to believe Christ when he tells him to go do Well, something? how many blind people do you think there are that would, would, if they could use their willpower, would see? Well, none. All of them. Yeah. Think about it. Or if they could use... If, if they if could it, use their willpower, their desire to right. see right. would but give Jesus them the power. Jesus did it this way for a reason, and I was just... I was wondering about that last week. He had to he had to go through the motions that Jesus told him to go through. Yeah, right. Am I just not am right. I reading too much in it? No. no, 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 no. But because uh, remember what we talked about last week, there were several things that we noticed about the miracle. One is that if God does a work in a person's life, it's obvious not only to the person themselves, but it's obvious to everybody around. Right. Them. When God is doing a work in your life, it's obvious. Right. And one of the conditions of true faith is what? What did the man do? He said, go and wash in the pool. A willingness to do what? Believe. Believe. Not just believe. not a willingness to believe, but he said, go and wash in, in the pool. And the guy left and went to and washed. To follow his direction? Obedience, yeah. right? Obedience. Okay. Yeah. So one of the indications of true saving faith is a willingness to be obedient to the commands of God. Right. So that was to show his obedience. Yeah. Okay, good. So, it, it, I got a question for you. Why doesn't God just zap people saved? That's I say he could, but he but he chooses yeah. not to. And, that, and that's the same reason that answers your question. The same reason why he did that process. That's what you're right, at, the yeah. process. Your process of salvation was a long. Oh, I'm you a can, process. Yeah, you can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're all a process. Yeah. We we look like a food processor sometimes, don't we? Kind of mixed up and jumbled, but. So, yeah, that's that's very important. So God uses different means in different ways to get to people. Right. Now, one thing that is common in all salvation is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's one thing that's in common with all salvation, that it's through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Right. Okay. All right. That, and That's a, an excellent question that you asked, Lori. Lori. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's an excellent question because... That really, when you dig like that, you really get some insight into the scriptures like you were saying, and you realize a Christ has shown himself as creator of man because he's using that means of clay. Yeah. But he's also... That was brought up shooter. last week, too. Yeah. The, will, the willingness of man to, even though it's God that initiates... He used the dust on the ground to... to Mm-hmm. Give him new eyes. And 2,000 years later, we're sitting in a room talking about what he did. Mm-hmm. No, that's really cool. All right. So we um, we saw that um, we did some comparisons between day and night, between eternal things and temporal things, the things of this world and the things right. of kingdom of God, that there's a, that, uh, there's a, a definite difference in spiritual and physical day and night, eternal and temporary. That kind of thing. And then in verse 5, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And remember we talked about those I am statements. What what was it about those I am statements that are very important? Who remembers? So, I mean, was talking about All right, so um, when, when Moses was talking to God in the burning bush. Ah, uh, that's when God first presented himself. And what did he say his he name said, was? I am. I am. Yeah, he's not I was, he's not I will be, he is I am. I am. And so now Jesus is taking that ongoing as his own identity. Well, he's God. Yeah. Right. So when anybody tells you, I I was just discussing this with a friend of mine who has a friend who lives in Saudi Arabia who's witness to the Muslims. And one of the Muslim contentions is, is that the Bible never claims that Jesus is God. And there, once you have the eyes to see it, there's all kind yeah, of. I don't know how they how they can how that's even an argument. Because it's unbelief. It's unbelief, and we're going to see why how it's an argument in just a minute when we get to the controversies between the Pharisees and Jesus. We'll so, see how that's. But right. I mean, it's written out of Jesus is the Son of God. Yep. So we we reminded ourselves that Jesus said, "I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate." Of the sheepfold, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine. And those were the seven I am statements that John brings to us in the Gospel of John. And all seven of them are reflections on the I am 
part that he is claiming to be God right. that he's the light of the world that he's the door when, through which we have to go through that he's the resurrection life the way the truth and the life so we talked about those things and then we got into um, verse 8 again it said therefore the neighbors saw him they said is this not the one who's to sit and beg so Again, we talked about how when God is doing a work in our life, it is not only evident to us, but it's evident to other people around us. That when God is at work in your life, people are going to notice it. Um, And then verse 9, others said, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying what? It's me. I am am the one. That's me. Right. Right. So we are willing. One of the other things that we see when true faith is at work in our life, we are willing to admit and give God the glory for the work that is being done. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we want to take credit for our sobriety or we want to take credit for our salvation or we want to take credit for the fact that that, uh, uh, anything. And the reality is it is but for the grace of God. We would never do the things of God. We would never glorify God in our lives. And so then we talked about how uh, verse 10, they asked him, how was your eyes open? The man told him, uh, Jesus uh, made clay and anointed my eyes and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and washed. And that was always one of the things that I wanted. I had a, uh, Lori, Mark, you've not met Lori, but Lori loves to chase rabbits. She's a, I call her Elmer Fudd. You know what? I haven't met her, but I listened to some of these online, online and I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> she loves to chase rabbits, but it's good. And so one of the rabbits that I always chased, one of the rabbits that I always wanted to chase was how did the guy know that Jesus put mud on his eyes? Like, in other words, he couldn't see it. True. And I always wondered that. Yeah, but I guess Maybe after he like, washed his face, he, he looks he in his hand. He's got his dirt all yeah. in the pool, and when, his, when he could see, he might have seen the. <laughs> there you go. The all right, yeah, he, he he saw his reflection in the water. Might have seen the could have been. In the water. We'll have to ask him one day when we get to glory. So, um, verse twelve. Look at verse twelve. They said to him, "Where is he?" And he said, "I do not know." So now, what are these people doing? They're looking for the one that healed this man. Right. So another thing that we notice is when God is at work in our lives, God work in our lives causes others to seek him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of those are very important lessons that we learn from That's that. That's why it's so important to let the light of Jesus shine through us so it can call the sinners home. So today we're going to read chapter 9, verses 13 through 34. And and then we'll discuss that. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath, and on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered and said to them, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them and said, I already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. 
The man answering and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do nothing. He could do nothing. They answered and said, You were born entirely in sin, and are you going to teach us? And they put him out. All right, so let's go back through now and look at this. Why are we having this confrontation with the Pharisees? Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the religious elite of that day, right? They're the doctors and the uh, the the, the, the law. Well, the lawyers would be the scribes, right? The, and uh, Sadducees. the Sadducees were the political crowd, like the, the town councilman and the city council. Like all of these so were. The Pharisees this, were high priests, maybe. Yeah, they were. Well, one of the Pharisees would have been a high priest. Right. One of the Sadducees. No, one of the Sadducees would have been a high priest, but the Pharisees were the religious crowd. They were the uh, basically our Sunday school teachers and our uh, preachers and the scholars that run the seminaries, the theologians, the 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 bigwigs, yeah. the big names, right? And the problem was is that the Pharisees were very self righteous. They wanted people to look at them and what they were doing instead of looking to God and what he was doing. And so we immediately are going to have a conflict because what is this man doing? He's showing everybody that God has done something. Right. The Pharisees are showing that they have done something. Yeah. So in the blind man's case, God is getting the glory, and in the Pharisees' case, they're getting the glory. And they were the the ones that knew the Bible, the, right? The, they knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They were the smart ones. And now here comes this guy who has basically been born blind, and in their opinion, a, a sinner, a worse of sinner, because he was born blind. And now he's going to tell them something about God. So the Pharisees were the religious crowd. They were self righteous, self sufficient, self willed. They now listen. These guys did not smoke. They did not drink. They did not cheat on their wives, and they did not hang around with people that did. <laughs> right? These were the like. If you were to look at them, you would say, "Man, this is the most religious person that I know." But under the veil of that religiosity was a self-willed heart. Mm-hmm. Was a heart that was seeking to glorify self and not God. Right. They they professed a truth that they did not believe. And now here comes the truth, and the truth is exposing them. So the Pharisee might say something like, well, I don't cheat on my wife, and Jesus would come along and say, if you even look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already cheated on your wife. Right. And the Pharisee would say, you got no business in my thoughts. Hmm. Right? But the reality is, when we stand before God one day, we're all going to answer for everything that we have thought, everything that we have said, and everything that we have done. Mm-hmm. We all will answer for that. So, does the law of Moses apply to our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings? No. What's the thing? She the says no. Moses, no. The law of Moses. Well, who gave Moses the law? God. Yeah. So, yes, so when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, all he was doing was taking the Ten Commandments and combining them into two. Because no other gods before me, don't take God's name in vain, remember the Sabbath day, and keep it holy, and have no idols, all have to do with our love for God, don't right. they? And if we really love God, what will we do? We will obey those commandments. And, and, right. and loving the neighbor is don't steal, don't kill, don't cheat on them, don't lie to them, right? Don't covet their stuff. You see? And so the law is a the perfect expressed will of God. God says, if you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous, this is what you do. Now, what is the problem with God? Well, there's really no problem with God giving us the law, but what is our problem with the law? Why do we have a problem with the law? Because we don't want to do it. We want to rebel. <laughs> there you go. Right? When we're riding down the road, 
We don't think about those speed limit signs until we see the police officer park right. under the tree. <laughs> right. Then we worry about the fact that we've been speeding. Right. You see? It's not that we don't want to break the law. It's that we don't want to get caught breaking it. Yeah, we don't like being told what to do Good. either. Yeah. So the law exposes the wrong that is in us. Right. The consequences. And how much wrong do we have in us? Oh. A lot. 99.9%. I would say even more than that. The Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? So the law exposes that. Well, the Pharisees would have been a crew that put Moses' law on their shoulders and said, look at me, everybody, I'm doing it. The law was not given to us to they lift up. They were doing it as far as you could see them, but Jesus even said, if you look at another woman, yeah. tell me one of them didn't look at another so, woman. So these people did. were using the law as steps to climb to heaven. Right. When in reality, the law is a barrier that says you can't get there. And they were using the law to appear better than others. Good. And so why was they having a conflict with Jesus? Because Jesus was exposing their what? Their wickedness. Self-righteousness. Yeah. And their hypocrisy. Yeah. They're running around telling everybody how good they were, and then Jesus was exposing the wrong that was in their heart. Not only that, here are the most religious people in all of the world, and they've never caused a blind man to see. Never. I was thinking about that, too. How come they never helped the poor man? Because they couldn't. They didn't have the power to. That power comes from God alone. You see? A God in which they knew. Well, they claimed to know. Never Nobody, did the healing never did a miracle. The Jews were supposed yeah. to. And then he's doing healing miracles back to back. Good. Again. So in, in verse 14, in verse 14, it says, um, now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. Now what is the problem there? Sabbath, you're not supposed to do oh, any okay. no, work. Sabbath. 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 Now remember, we've talked about this in the last couple of years as we've been studying the life of Christ. We said that there were two main reasons that the Jews used, two, two uh, accusations that they used against Jesus to nail him to the cross. What were they? What were their two main beefs with him? Like the two accusations that they made the most? Breaking the law. Breaking the Sabbath. Breaking, so that, that he was rejecting Moses and the law. When in reality, he's the one that gave Moses the law. And him claiming that he is the Son of God. That he's God. That's exactly right. So, his claim to deity. But but God made the Sabbath for man to rest Mm -hmm. and to be able to worship him. And so, and Jesus said, in other confrontations with the Pharisees, Jesus had already exposed them and said, look, the Sabbath is, there's nothing wrong with doing uh, works of, of helps, right. helping people on the Sabbath day. Right. He said, if your ox falls in the ditch, you're just going to leave him there till <laughs> Sunday and right. then go get him out right. the next day? Right. No, you're going to get him out right then. So right. so um, the people in our community that, that work on Sundays and are nurses and, and police officers and ambulance drivers and firemen and who? Yeah. Missionaries. How about preachers? Are they working on the Sabbath day? Oh, my goodness. Right? Right? They're working on the Sabbath day. You ask any preacher if it's not work to preach, and they'll tell you it's a lot of work. Right. But the reality is, is that the Sabbath was a rule to keep people from doing physical work for their own glory. It was also to set it aside so that we had time when we didn't have to do a job to be able to worship our Lord. Yeah. Not only that, but you, every one of us in this room know that you've only been given 24 hours a day. And how many of us try to fit about 26 or 28 hours in that day? <laughs> right? We try to squeeze it all in, you see. And God knows us. And he knows that there needs to come a time when my body shuts down and rests. Right. I'm on vacation this week, and I'm very thankful for some rest. I, I slept in Monday. I usually get up at 3.45 nice. on Monday. I slept till 9 o'clock Monday. Right? Mm. I slept till 8 30 today. <laughs> and I'm resting. Me I, too. I slept right? till 8.30. I picked up some books. I got a stack of 2B read books. I've already read four books this week. And they're all books that I've wanted to read. I just hadn't had time to do it because of all of my other studies. Right. And I just sat aside and just sat down, and, and I've enjoyed that. My body is resting, um, and I'm enjoying the rest. Right. But every week we should rest. And that rest does not necessarily have to look like me laying in the bed. Yeah. Although I do like to take Sunday naps, right? <laughs> Resting is going to church and worshiping with the rest of my eternal family. Mm-hmm. And it gives me peace to do what he's called me to do. Right. So getting in my car and driving to church is not work. And I'm not breaking the Sabbath by doing that. Right. 
Now, if I get out and cut the grass, on that, that might be a different story, you see. Right. Or maybe go fishing or you know, do things like that. Uh, that I, I leave that up to the individual. But these people were claiming that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath. And if Jesus is breaking the Sabbath, if he was truly breaking the Sabbath, then what is he doing? He's breaking one of God's commandments. And what is it called when we break God's commandments? Sin. Sin. He's a sinner. Yeah. Therefore, he's not qualified to die on the cross for our sins, you see. But he was not breaking the Sabbath. So what does the word Sabbat mean? We've talked about this in the past. What does it mean? What does the word Sabbat mean? I don't know. I ain't heard. I don't know. What's it mean? Never been told. You've got Jewish friends. What does it mean, the Sabbat? <laughs> it means to rest. To rest. And that's pretty hard to remember, ain't it? Makes so sense. what is the Sabbat day Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah. Resting. resting. And the truth is, we're supposed to be resting in God's work. That's the only way we can truly rest. Right. And what is God's work? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for. But you can truly rest when you depend on God and give your problems yep. to Him. Then Good. You can truly rest. That's exactly right. And that's where true rest comes in when we rest in the work that God has done. Remember, God rested on the seventh day, didn't He? Now, the God don't get tired. No. Well, why did He rest then? He wanted, I think he, to um, the he was he was in awe of what he had created, right? I don't think he was in awe you of know? anything. To be in awe means to be amazed well, and surprised yeah, maybe and shocked. Maybe I used the wrong word. I didn't mean you, shock. I just know? meant. What does it mean when I do this with my hands? When I do this with my hands, what does it mean? Washing your hands of it. No, well. You're finished. I'm finished. Yeah. So why did he rest? Because he's God. He was done. He created everything. It was done. So to rest means a cessation of work. Now God never rests. So somebody has to make the sun go, or the earth go around the sun, right? Somebody has to make the tides come in and out. Mm-hmm. And God is always at work. God's working in our lives today, is He not? Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is everywhere, and He's omniscient and all powerful. He doesn't get tired. But when we're resting in Christ, what that means is we're resting in His finished work. Now, what was the problem with the Pharisees? Whose work were they dependent on? Themselves. You see? So they were accusing Jesus of not resting, of not following the Sabbath. When in reality, they turned the Sabbath into a work. They had 635 rules that they had to keep every Sabbath. (laughs) So they actually turned that rest into a work. Mm -hmm. And Jesus turned the work into a rest. And so that's, there's more of that conflict going on there. It's a wonder to me how, how the Jews have hope to be in heaven with God when they have all these laws that they can't possibly do. And, I mean, even to this day, they must have some kind of animosity. Am I going to make it or not? And to live with that and not have price to depend on, it's impossible. But, but they remember, we've seen the confrontation. What did they tell Jesus just last week? We have Abraham for our father. Yeah, but still they have to follow all these laws. It's their work. It, it's it's like, it's like. And nobody can do it. So in the Old Testament, so we're talking about back then, the New Testament hasn't been written, right? Okay, so they're living off the Old Testament and everything, right? Had At that time, had their, I mean, I, I don't know, was there, what was their Bible back then? What did they? What was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Okay. The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Matter of fact, and in the Old Testament it says that there. Well, let me ask you this: What was Jesus' Bible? He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians to preach from. He's gone. Well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's true. But the scriptures are His words. Right. So. Right. It's just. What did Jesus use for a Bible? They were so adamant about not seeing. I mean. What did Jesus use for a Bible? He didn't. His heart, his mind. He doesn't need a Bible. Uh, uh, he really? He, he wrote the Bible. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. I think he used. He used the prophets. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think the Maybe he listened to the Father's voice in his heart. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm sure he did, but. He's yeah, he, God. He grew up. Uh, he grew up me. a little Jewish boy, and he. You know, went to the synagogue and all that, and he went through bar mitzvah uh, and all those things, which means you become a son of the law. So he did study the scriptures. 
He knew the scriptures inside and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He knew them from birth. Just, but uh, he grew. But the Bible says what? that as he was a being child, taught. he grew in uh, stature and wisdom. Right. In other words, he's a hundred percent human being, mm-hmm. right. and he had to grow up as a kid. He had to learn things. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he is one hundred percent God, but remember, he's one hundred percent man. And as right. a boy, he went to the temple. Now, remember what it say. He was amazing the teachers in the temple because he was asking them questions that shouldn't be coming from a twelve-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the Spirit of God was not at work in his life, right? but he grew in his understanding of Scripture. As he walked his walk, as he got closer and closer to the cross, he became more and more aware yeah, of okay, so his calling. Even in the Old Testament, the story of Jesus is explained. Yes. It's all there. Yes. Even him going on the cross. Even yes. him riding on the donkey. Yes. All of that is explained. But the Pharisees didn't see any of that. That's right. He is a complete fulfillment of They're all of the promises of the Messiah Old Testament. Right. So when when God promised Abraham that one day he would have uh, his seed would would uh, inherit the world, right. who was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. When he told David that he was going to have a Sunday, son one day, he told David that one day you'll have a son that's going to sit on the throne forever. Who was he talking about? It wasn't Solomon. Jesus. No, Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so all of the Old Testament is about Jesus. Right. And so these Pharisees who claimed to know the Old Testament inside out, inside and out were looking at the Word become flesh and walking among them, and they rejected it. Why? Because in their hearts they rejected God's word. They rejected God's truth. But he's still God's chosen people. Hmm? Aren't they still God's chosen people? Physically they are. But it's always been a remnant according to grace. In other words, uh, Jacob and Esau were both uh, Isaac's kids. But only Jacob was of the promised seed. Isaac and Ishmael were both Abraham's kids, but only Isaac was of the promise. Only Isaac was Sarah and Abram's child. Abraham was called out of Ur. He left all of his people and came to be what God called him to be. And so, uh, you know, it's always been that child of promise. It's been those who have been chosen by God. It's always been that way. So within the nation of Israel, there was always a remnant. There was always his people within that people. So in other words, being a physical descendant of Abraham is not going to get anybody into heaven. Right. Right, I know. But but they don't, I don't know. They're still looking for a Messiah. Yeah, they certainly are. Are they going to come to believe? The ones that he calls will. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. That's what he's talking about. So, God's not going to lose any of his sheep. And they're going to come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So, in verse 17, it says, They said to the blind man, What do you say about this man? And And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe him that he had been blind and received his sight. So, they asked the man to testify. And what did the man say? Jesus is a prophet. Now, the reality is that Jesus is the prophet. The prophet. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses made a promise. He said they were referring to the prophets. He uh, said, uh, the Lord your God, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him you shall hear. So all through the Old Testament, the children of Israel were looking for the prophet to come along. Remember when John the Baptist was preaching? Some of the Pharisees that came out to the wilderness to see him preach, they asked him, they said, are you the prophet? They were asking him, are you claiming to be the one that Moses promised us would come? Right. And what did he say? Nope. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. But John the Baptist was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, wasn't he? Because in the book of Malachi, it says that one would come out of the wilderness and his voice would declare who the... Messiah was. There was always this prophecy that there was going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. And when they came to John the Baptist, it said, Are you the prophet? I always wondered, did they ever did the Jews ever feel any guilt 
earth? Like even now, do they feel guilt for what their descendants did? No, they still believe the same thing, but no, they they don't. As a matter of fact, there's anger there. Right. Well, there's two types of sorrow that can be evidence. There can be godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Like some people are sorry. They really are sorry. Like there's people in jail right now that are sorry they're in jail. They're sorry they got caught. Yeah. They're not sorry for what they've done. Some folks are, though. Right. And so in the Bible, we're taught in, in uh, Corinthians... <laughs> Paul tells us that there are two types of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a sorrow that is worked into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that type of sorrow causes us to turn from our sins and turn from the things that we've done wrong and turn back to the truth. So when God is at work in our heart, there will be an expression of godly sorrow. And what does godly sorrow look like? Not only are we sorry for the things that we've done wrong, but we're sorry that we have sinned before God and we turn away from those sins and turn back to God. And it's not easy to deal with sometimes. But there are people that have what is known as a worldly sorrow. And these people are really sorry for what they've done. But they're not willing to turn back to the truth. They still hold on to themselves. So an example of that would be um, Judas. Do you think Judas was sorry that he sold Jesus out? No. He was. Yes, he was. Um, he carried the 30 pieces of silver that he got for him and threw them at the feet of the Pharisees and said, I don't want your right. blood. Oh, right. Then he went out and hung himself. Do you think he felt bad about what he'd done? Yeah. yeah. Yes. But not bad enough to turn back to Jesus and right. ask he for forgiveness. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He, he sought forgiveness himself. in his own way yeah. instead of turning to God. What about Peter? Do you he think... followed him. He was... Did, what, did Peter did, did Peter deny Jesus? Yes, he certainly times. did. He did three, three times, and Jesus told him he was going to do it. Yeah, and what did what did Peter do as soon as he denied him that third time? He went out and wept. Yeah, he was brokenhearted that he had done this. But later on in the story in John twenty, Jesus meets him at a fireside having breakfast with him, and he asked him three times. He said, "Peter, do you love me?" Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. Why do you think he asked him three because times? Because he denied him three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he allowed him those three times to repent of what he had done. And what did you? And what did Peter say? You know everything. In other words, I'm not even going to brag about my love for you because I know that within myself I'm not capable of it. But he said, Jesus, you know everything. You know my heart. And so <clears throat> there's different types of sorrow. And so, are there Jews today that are sorry that Jesus died on the cross? Well, well I'm sure there are. There are. At, at Pentecost, when Peter preached the gospel and said, "You crucified, you know, the Prince of Life," they were pricked to the heart, and he said, "What should we do?" And he said, "Repent and believe," and that's what they did. So, so Jews that are sorry, really sorry, like you said, they repent and they believe. They don't and they become Christian. but they're not they don't have any I don't think they have any worldly sorrow at all. I don't even think they think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's part of the past. He was just yeah. some heretic that came and preached against Moses. So uh again yeah, yeah. uh verse eighteen to twenty three. Um I want you to look at this because this is a very important thing that we need to to realize from this lesson, um, look at verses 18 to 23. The Jews did not believe it, that he had been blind. In verse 19, they questioned him and and said, how does he now see? So these people are looking for answers, aren't they? How is this and man able to see now? That right. they've seen on the right. street begging. Right. right. But one of the things that we learn from this <laughs> about unbelief is that the unbelieving want truth. Only if it confirms their unbelief. Mm -hmm. They only want truth if it's going to confirm what they think. Right. And we're all guilty of this. Mm -hmm. When people really get up in our business, like we get angry, we tell them, don't judge me. Mind your own business. Get out. Get away from me. They only want the truth when it confirms their unbelief. His parents answered said, We know that this is our son. We know he's born blind, but now he sees. We don't know. Ask him. So 
they wanted some truth and the parents were like, look, you can see, he can see, and we're telling you he can see. But then what did the parents do? They said, but we don't know how this happened. Now, did they know what happened? Yes. But in verses uh, 24 and 25, or verses uh, 22 and 23, it said they were afraid of the Jews. Now, what nationality are they? His parents. Jewish. So when it says they were afraid of the Jews, remember how we've said in the past that in the book of John, any time that John uses the term the Jews, he's talking about the enemies of Christ. Now, is what, what nationality is John who wrote this? He has to be Jewish. He's Jewish. So is is everybody that's Jewish, according to John, an enemy of Christ? No. No, but in that gospel, in the gospel of John, when he uses the term the Jews, he's talking about those who oppose Jesus. Right. All right. He's not talking about them as a nation. He's talking about that sect, right. that group of people. Okay. So he says... <clears throat> um, they had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, what would be another word for the, the Christ? Well, who were the Jews looking for? The Messiah. The Messiah. Yeah. So another word for Christ, the Christ, the anointed one, is the Messiah. So they had already come together and determined if anybody comes and says that Jesus is the Messiah, they are going to be uh, kicked out of the synagogue. What is the term that churches use for that today? What do we call it? Excommunicated. Excommunicado is the Latin, I think. Right. And and here it would have been, they would have been (laughs) ex-synagogue. Like they would have been kicked (laughs) out of the synagogue. Now, what is the problem with that? Well, every one of us in this room know that a majority of the churches in our world today, especially if you want to talk about the Catholic Church or the Jewish synagogues, um, they're not... Particularly religious, as much as they are a social uh, entity. Mm-hmm. It's where you take your kids to go to school. It's where you meet on the weekends and hang out and and do things. It's, it's a, there's a lot of social uh, aspects to it. They identify not as a Christian, not as a child of God, but as a Roman Catholic. You you, you see what I'm saying? And so. If you got kicked out of the synagogue at that time, what would happen? You'd have no place to worship. Yeah, you'd have no place to worship. You'd have no place to come and have your sins forgiven. Yeah. No social life. Right. No nothing. Think about that. Did you have have the Jews had a place to go take blood sacrifices for the last two thousand years? No. Now, how does a Jew believe that their sins are atoned for? That's what I. That's a good question. How do they? Blood, shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's what their own scriptures tell them. So they're so what are they cutting up chickens down in the basement. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what they got going on? What they How do they atone for their sins now? The temple is gone. I don't know. I think they just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait next you. I mean, me. I'm gonna ask that question. So, <laughs> so think about that. If you got kicked out of the synagogue. Not only would you lose all, all of your friends and all of your family, because your family would have to anathematize you. You couldn't be around them. Right. You couldn't come to their house and eat dinner with them anymore. Yeah. You couldn't go and shop in the local shops because yeah. the people in the shops are from the synagogue, and they're not going to sell anything to a to a goy to a. So to a not pagan. only are you kicked out of the synagogue, you're actually kicked out of everything. Your all your whole social every, life is gone. You can't go into any market or anything or any time. Like yeah. yeah. So wow. Think about it. These parents are saying, look, we know this is our kid, and we know that he was born blind, and we know right now that he can see. But don't ask us to tell you how. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what do we, we learn from that? that part. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think the parents were afraid of being excommunicated, too. So well, of course they were. They were afraid of the authorities. Yeah. Of course they were. So a second time they called the man, this is verse 24, who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Hmm. Um, now, sounds what like do we learn? Lyrics for a song. Hmm? So that sounds yeah. like good lyrics for a song. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <isn't> it? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was blind, and now I see. So verse 24 and 25, we learn an important lesson there. We may not understand all of the works that God has done in our lives, but we will definitely understand He is at work. 
What do I mean by that? Did this man know Jesus from a house cat before he met him? No. And how long has he known Jesus? A couple of minutes. And what did he say? I don't know who this guy is. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. You see? But what does he say? But this I do know. A couple of minutes ago, I was walking around in the dark, and now I can see. Now I can see. So he knows that God has done a work in his life. He may not be able to completely give a... Uh, uh, you know, a deposition on it right. and, and explain everything that happened. Right. But he has an understanding that God is working in life. So right. the lesson we learn from that is, is you may not understand everything from Genesis to Revelation as you read the Bible. But if God is at work in your life, you're going to know it. Mm-hmm. Right. And if he is at work in your life, you're going to want to know more. You're going to, how did this happen? What has happened to me? You see? So as a Christian, I don't have to have a doctrine in theology to be a Christian and understand the things of God. And the things I understand of God don't have to be so in-depth. Right. Like, what did Jesus say? Unless you become as little children, you cannot know about energy. So faith is a simple thing. First of all, it's a gift from God. It's not coming from me anyhow. So it's not based on my knowledge. It's based on His truth at work in my life. Now, if God is at work in my life, and I realize that He's at work in my life, what am I going to want to know? More. I'm going to. I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Right. As a newborn babe, I will desire the sincere milk of God's word. Right. So another evidence that God's work is at work in my life is my hunger and desire to know the truth mm-hmm. in His word. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so He says. Um, verse 26 through 29. So they said to him, what did he do to you? Uh, he answered, I told you already. They reviled him and said, we are Moses' disciples. And we know that God has spoken to Moses. But for this man, we don't know where he's from. And so one of the things that we see in 26 through 29 is the hardening effects of unbelief. Hmm. When an unbeliever has made up their mind to not believe the general result of that is going to be that they can continue to drown in that unbelief. And that unbelief gets um, more uh, evident in their life. So the more we say no to God... They saw a miracle. Huh? Saw the miracle happen. Yeah. And still. And so remember that Bible teaches us that those who are in unbelief are willfully suppressing that truth. They don't want to hear it because it goes against everything that they want. Right. And the more we suppress that truth, the harder it becomes to hear it. What do I mean by suppressing truth? What does it mean to suppress something? To stuff it down. Stuff it down. Right. right. So uh, on Saturdays, I usually Not like have it's to. Gone. You're just hiding it. On Saturdays, I usually have to suppress my trash in my trash can because the trash man don't come until <laughs> Sunday, and I don't want to have to go take the trash out until then. You see. So what do I do? I can take a stuff paper it. plate and I stuff it down a little further so that I can get one more day of trash. <laughs> right. Right. Especially right. Too. same thing with laundry. Right. Yep. <laughs> I suppress the laundry until I can get a full load. Right. right. Pushing out. And so the reality is the Bible teaches us that the natural man is doing whatever he can to push the things of God away from him. Right. And the more he pushes them away, the harder it becomes to hear them. The more we say uh, no, the harder it becomes to hear God's yes. And that's something that we can all take into account in our life. So we got to wind down. Um, let's see. Verse 30 to 33. Uh, the man answered and said, Well, here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a God-fearing and does, not, uh, does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So what is this man doing? He's defending the work that God has done in his life. He's defending Jesus. Right. So one of the things we learn from this is that when God is at work in our life, we are willing to profess that to others. Mm-hmm. We're willing to stand up for God and say, God has done this for me. 
And uh, so they, they gave him one final rejection. The answer said, you were born entirely in sin, and are you teaching us? Now, next week when we <clears throat> yeah, next week when we get back together and we finish up this chapter, we're going to see where Jesus is going to now confront both the blind man and the Pharisees. <clears throat> and what's so funny is um, uh, Jesus is going to tell them that they are blind. <laughs> and so what's funny about that is this blind man who was naturally blind is now physically, naturally able to see because God has done a work naturally in his life. But not only that, God has done a work in this man's heart, so now he can see what? The spiritual things of God. Where these people on the natural outside look like they have the things of God in their life, but spiritually they are what? They're blind. blind. And they're going to get angry because we're the ones that know, and now this man Jesus is trying to tell us we don't know. And so the very people that think they can see are actually the ones that are blind. And often, can you not see that in your own life? Have you ever been living the wrong way and somebody tried to come and convince you that you were doing something wrong? What do we do? We put our fingers in our ear and say, ah, la, 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 I can't hear you. Right. Right. So this man is willing to receive Jesus and to believe him. He knows that Jesus is working his life. He's willing to profess that to others. And it's evident... Not only to him and his family, but to all of those around. The, the, these Pharisees can deny Jesus all they want, but they will not be able to deny the fact that Jesus has done a work in this man's life. Right. They can't deny that. Right. There's too many people in that community that knew that man and knew who he was before he had new eyes. So let's um, go ahead and close in a quick word of prayer. Next week, we uh, actually, I will not see you guys right. until... October. Yeah, John's got September. I'll come back in October. Let's close in a word of prayer, and we'll finish up now when I get back in October. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to and minds to understand. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We pray that you will continue to do that work in our lives and allow it to be evident to others. Allow us to be a light for you in this dark and dying world. Help us uh, to continue to know you better and better as we grow in your word and in your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.